Um, uh, you are in the right session, hopefully. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. And uh, the title of this lesson is Knocked Down But Not Knocked Out. We're going to be looking here at 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2. Let's go ahead and pray. And we're going to be looking at the first uh, 11 verses of this chapter. And uh, we're going to be looking at a, a little bit of a pattern that Paul gives us as he... Uh, is traveling on his missionary journeys to start churches. Some of the situations that he encountered seemed like they went smooth and well. Other ones, not so much. And here, as he starts the church in, Thessalon- in uh, Thessal- Thessalonica, um, he runs in some tr- into some trouble, and then he gives us some outline here in, in chapter 2 on how we can apply these principles to our life when we run into trouble. Things don't go exactly as planned. Um, in our life. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll look at uh, these lessons from 1 Thessalonians. Father, thank you for loving us and for providing for us. Thank you for your word that you give to us. Thank you that it's trustworthy, that we can apply it to our life, and it works every time. I just pray, Father, that you would bless um, tonight, bless the, those who have came. I pray that your word would go out and that it would touch our hearts, give us wisdom as we make decisions for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Paul goes to Thessalonica, he actually started a church in Philippi. Um, If you're familiar with uh, Paul's life a little bit, he goes to Philippi, he's arrested there. um, But some miracles happen in Philippi. He's arrested, put in jail. He and Silas are sitting there at midnight, they're singing, and an earthquake happens. He's miraculously freed from from the prison there in Philippi. The jailer gets saved. Um, So, really, although it was a difficult time of starting the church in Philippi, it was miraculous, and it was exciting. And he leaves the city with uh, people being saved, and actually, the people who arrested him, if you know the story, the Romans, they were afraid, because they said, oh, we didn't know he was a Roman citizen. And so they end up coming and apologizing to him, and helping him out of the city, providing what he needed. The jailer's saved, the whole jailer's family is saved. Um, Philippi is where he meets Lydia, a wealthy lady who helps this church get started. So he had a great, although it was difficult, he had a great response in the city of Philippi. Well, now he goes on to the city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica, the story takes place actually in Acts chapter 17. In Thessalonica, the reception, although it starts out rough just like Philippi, it actually is very brief. Um, He only spends three weeks in the city of Thessalonica before the exact same thing happens as Philippi. Except he doesn't quite get arrested, but he gets driven out of the city this time. No miracles, no midnight singing, no earthquake, no unbelievable conversion story of the jailer, no Roman apology, nothing. He leaves the city after three weeks. And that's why I've entitled this lesson here, Knocked Down But Not Knocked Out. Because Paul, he experiences this in Thessalonica, and yet we see years later he writes this letter to the Thessalonians. And he gives them a pattern on, on how, how to handle situations when they don't exactly turn out the way that we thought they were going to. I mean, we understand that life is going to be rough. There's going to be patches maybe that don't turn out the way we thought. But here, Paul, after three weeks, gets driven out of a city. That was unusual for him. And still there was fruit that remained because it's, it's God who ends up telling the story, not Paul. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. The city of Thessalonica 
if you read in Acts chapter 17, it was a free city, which means it was not, although it was part of the Roman Empire, it was not under the thumb of the Romans like other cities had been. Um, It had freedom from taxation. They voted for their own leadership. Um, They minted their own money, their own coins. Troops, Roman troops, were not um, stationed in Thessalonica. And because of this, you get a little bit of the sense of why the Thessalonian leadership, the political leadership, was so worried when the religious people came to them and said, these men are turning the world upside down. You see, their world was peaceful. Their world was one without taxation. Their world was one where they ruled themselves. And so the religious leaders knew exactly what buttons to push in order to get Paul pushed out of the city. And so Thessalonica was unusual. It was a city um, that had a lot of privilege and prestige. As we see here, though, Paul begins verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, he's recounting his time in, Thess- in Thessalonica, and he says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. So number one, I wrote down, accept the the value of a situation instead of the vanity of the situation. So many times we look at a situation and we think, well, that was a waste. That was a waste of my life. That was a waste of my time. That was a waste of my effort. There's really very little to show for this. But But Paul says here, he says, I value the three weeks that I spent in Thessalonica. Not only do I value it, but I value it because God was doing a work there. Even though it was short, even though it wasn't what I intended, even though it didn't end glamorously or with a lot of uh, uh, excitement like Philippi, still, I value what God did in that situation. You know, Paul and Silas spent only three weeks in Thessalonica. We can't judge eternal impact by temporal measurements. You know, so many times we want to, We want to look and see, well, was this worth my time? Was this worth my effort? And so many times, God measures things in an arc that is so long that we don't actually get to see all the results of the different situations that God puts us in. Results may not meet our approval, but God's work is often done behind the scenes. And this is what happened in Thessalonica. Um, when, When Paul left Thessalonica, there was barely even a group of people meeting. They met in Jason's house, and Jason was arrested, by the way. And so there was barely even a group of people, but God was doing a work there. God measures in the arc of eternity. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Doesn't matter whether God puts you in a situation for three weeks three years, 30 years, the time is up to God. God determines the time of where he puts us and when he puts us in different situations. Other people may question and say, well, I'm not sure that he really followed God's will. I mean, three weeks in Thessalonica, God probably didn't even want him there to begin with. But that's let, let other people judge that. Here, Paul said, I'm going to accept the value of what God put me through, not the vanity. Next, in verse 2, he says, but even after that, we had suffered before. And were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. I wrote down number two, choose boldness in God. 
Boldness in ourself is pride. But boldness in God is power. And Paul says, you know what? I was knocked down. I was knocked down in Philippi, but I got up and we saw miraculous things. I was knocked down in Thessalonica, scratched my head leaving that city wondering what God was doing. But you know what? I kept going and I was bold in God. The gospel of God, not the promotion of self, should be our main concern. See, so many times we get wrapped up in, well, I got knocked down. It didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. And therefore, you know, I'm just going to sit in the corner and just... If someone wants to hear the gospel, they'll just have to come up and talk to me. And the fact of the matter is, Paul said, you know what, I'm going to continue to be bold. Why? Because it wasn't ever about me to begin with. It wasn't about my success. It was about spreading the gospel. Peace is optimal. We should always strive for peace. But contention does not always indicate that we did something wrong. You know, so many times, um, Jesus, when he's interacting with people in in the gospels, um, he always he was the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. He preached peace, and yet people brought to him contention. And it wasn't that Jesus was wrong or he said something wrong, but sometimes contention comes our way not because of something we did wrong, but because of the faults that other people bring with them. Don't let previous mistreatment by others determine our willingness to serve God today. And Paul says, you know, I've been mistreated. Lots of different cities I've been mistreated. Thessalonica didn't turn out real well. But I'm going to continue to be bold, not in myself, but in God, in what he has called me to do. Accept, but don't fixate on the suffering and shame from others. You know, at some point in life, we do have to make peace with the fact that things don't turn out the way that we always thought they should, or the way we thought they were going to, or the way other people thought they should. And yet... Paul says, I'm going to continue. God still has a mission for me, and I'm going to be bold in doing that. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So even though Paul went through some difficult times, he said, you know what? I'm no better than Jesus Christ, my Savior. He also went through suffering and shame and continued on to what God had uh, sent him here on earth to do. Number three, let's look at verse three here. It says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. I wrote down for number three, pursue pure motives. So many times in life when things don't turn out the way we think they should, it can contaminate our motives going forward. All of a sudden, we're more interested in revenge. We're more interested in, in clearing our name. We're more interested in making sure people understand it wasn't my fault. We're more interested in making sure my side of the story gets out. And here Paul says, you know what? Our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of cleanness, nor of guile. He said, I want to expunge and eliminate those impure motives from me going forward. I don't want to carry that from Thessalonica and say, you know, I was mistreated there. I was misunderstood there. I wasn't given a proper hearing there. And so therefore, I'm going to go to the next city and prove to them that what happened in Philippi wasn't my fault. He said, I'm not about proving myself. I'm about going forward in pure motives. Hurt in life can be a gateway for retaliation and bitterness. Um, Our motivation, we have to work at this. We have to be diligent. Our motivation must be kept clean of deceit and guile. 
Because it creeps into our life because we want to justify ourselves. Because we know, I got knocked down. I didn't turn out the way I thought. I need to explain. I need to prove that uh, what happened is not my fault. We're responsible for our heart only. We can't go into other people's lives and touch their hearts and make sure that they're clean of deceit and guile. We can only affect our own. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Peace comes from a heart free of deceit, uncleanness, and guile. Um, We can't control what other people say, what other people think, what other motives they ascribe to us. All we can do is clean our own heart. Like David said, ask God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Keep our motives pure. Verse number four, he says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Notice what he says here. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Number four, I said, be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Again, when we go through difficult times in life, unexpected scenarios, so many times we get our eyes off of God and we start worrying about what everyone else is thinking around us. You know, I've never been a boxer, um, but I'm sure that when a boxer gets knocked down, he's not thinking about, you know, what what does the person in the fifth row think about how I looked when I fell? You know, he's thinking about getting up and pursuing that match to victory. And that should be our concern as well. Be a God-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. Paul says here, it wasn't about me pleasing men, but God. Because God is the one that tries our hearts. Accept what God has allowed in our life, both the challenges and the opportunities. You know, Paul was not done at Thessalonica. I'm sure he left that city scratching his head. I'm, I'm sure he thought, was that just a waste of three weeks? Did I just waste a bunch of time there. But no, God had a plan for him and he accepted the, the future challenges and opportunities that God brought his way. Pleasing God, not men, should be our motivation in life. Because if we're motivated by pleasing men, then we'll contort the truth to get that, to get that feeling, to get that affirmation from those around us. God is the designer of our life. And he alone knows the purpose for everything that he brings into our life. He alone knows it. Um, our neighbors don't know. Our family doesn't know. Many times people in our even fellow church members may not know. But God knows why he brings us through certain challenges and opportunities. Job 23.10, Job says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. It's God's business to put us through the furnaces that he wants us to walk through. And um, he does that, and he has designed those for us. Next, verses 5 and 6, be a blessing, not a burden. This is what Paul says, even though he got knocked down. Look at what he says here in verses 5 and 6. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome, as the apostles of Christ. So be a blessing, not a burden, as we get knocked down and then work on getting back up and doing what God has called us to do. Manipulation is a burden that we put on others for our benefit. See, so many times when we get knocked down, and here Paul says this in verse 5, he says, Neither at any time used we flattering words. What does he mean by that? 
He means, I wasn't putting on the burden of manipulation on you to cope with the fact that I felt like I failed in Thessalonica. He said, I was honest with you just like I was with the rest of the churches and the rest of the cities that we went to. So we have to be careful. Manipulation is a burden that if we're not careful, we put on others for our benefit, to make ourselves feel better. Covetousness, and he says, he mentions this also in these two verses, covetousness creates a burden on those around us. Why? Because nothing can satisfy a covetous person. If I bring covetousness to the ministry or to the people that I'm ministering to, there's nothing they can say, there's nothing they can do, there's nothing they can give that can satisfy the sin of covetousness. And Paul says, yes, I got knocked down. But I did not allow flattery, I did not allow covetousness to creep in and become a burden to the next city that I was ministering to. So covetousness creates a burden on those around us because nothing satisfies us when we allow covetousness to spring up in our heart. And the people around us, they try. They try to give us the words that they think we need to hear. They try to give us the support. But yet, when we allow that covetousness to take root, nothing satisfies. And then he says also a, a third thing in, in, um, in these two verses, in verse 6. He says, um, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. So pursuing glory for ourselves puts an unnecessary burden on those around us. Why? Because we're never quite satisfied with the recognition that we get once we travel down that road of pursuing glory. There's no one or nothing that can ever quite satisfy humanity's pride and, and uh, lust for more glory, more power, more authority, more recognition. Give it to me more. And we have to be careful that when we get knocked down in life, that we don't get up and start pursuing these three things that Paul says that he did not do. He didn't try to manipulate the people around him with flattery. He didn't turn to covetousness to try to satisfy the void or the emptiness. And he didn't uh, pursue vainglory. He didn't try to get other people to step in and, and stroke his ego and, and um, make up for what he felt was maybe a failing in his life. Next, verse 7 and 8. Be vulnerable again. Notice what he says here in verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, what does he say here? We were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. One of the hardest things to do when we get knocked down is to get back up and be vulnerable again, and allow someone else to knock us down again. And here Paul says, you know what? I got knocked down at Philippi. It was a great victory at the end. So I felt good leaving there. Got knocked down in Thessalonica. And if you read the story in Acts chapter 17, it wasn't even a victorious exit of Thessalonica. The Bible says that after three weeks, they shoved them out of the city by night. <laughs> they said, okay. The Christians got together and said, get out of here. You know, we got to flee it wasn't even, he had to sneak out at night. And instead of him saying, you know, I'm tired of getting knocked down. I'm tired of being misunderstood. I'm tired of being abused and misused. I'm just not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to open myself up to this type of vulnerable uh, attack. He doesn't. He says, you know what? We went to the next city and we opened our souls 
to them as well. Don't allow the trials of life to cause cynicism and a callous heart to develop. Be willing to open your soul, our souls again, even after a heartache, even after being knocked down. And this is what Paul practiced. Preach the gospel with an open heart and a vulnerable soul. And he says here in verse 8, he says, Not only did we preach the gospel, but we also shared our own soul. And that's really what the ministry, that's the most effective way to do ministry, is to preach the gospel, but to open our hearts up and our souls so that we're vulnerable again. Matthew twenty three thirty seven. this is Jesus speaking um, as he overlooks the city of Jerusalem. He sees a city that has rejected him, that has rejected every prophet that God has sent. He sees a city that's about to crucify him. They're about to yell and, and chant, crucify him, crucify him. And what does he say in Matthew twenty three thirty seven? He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus continued with compassion and love to reach out to the very city that in just a few days would crucify him. And by the way, they had a pattern of hurting and, and rejecting the truth that God sent to them. It's very interesting to me how different that reaction is compared to another prophet in the Old Testament, Jonah. You know, Jesus goes and he sees Jerusalem and he sees the people there and he weeps over the city and he... And you can see and hear the compassion in his voice. And yet Jonah, he's called to a city of Nineveh to preach the gospel. And what does he do? He preaches, there is revival, but he never opens his heart. He never opens his soul to the people in Nineveh. Matter of fact, he sits there and even after his sermon is preached, he hopes and he waits and he wishes that God's judgment would come. And that is ministering without an open heart. That is ministering without an open soul. And Paul said, even, though, even when you get knocked down, even when people you know, take advantage of you, get up again and open your heart and soul to the people that you're preaching to. Next, in verse 9, he says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. After we get knocked down, I wrote down, get back to work. There's nothing quite as healing as getting back to work. Um, getting back to what God has called you or called me to do. Work gives us purpose after a setback in life. We can't control all the setbacks, we can't control all the challenges, and we can't control what everyone says about them. But we can get back to work for God. There is no shortage of work in God's kingdom. There's, there's plenty of people in Oregon City, there's plenty of people in Portland, there's plenty of people in Oregon and Clackamas County and around the world that don't care about our failures that happened yesterday. They don't care about, necessarily, they don't, they don't, it doesn't matter to them that maybe we had a failing a year ago. They just want to hear the gospel today. They just want to know the truth today. They don't know all of our history. They don't know every mistake that we've made. They don't know every rejection that has happened to us. And when we go up and talk to them, when we present the gospel to them, to them, they're focused on the gospel. And to them, it's a gift that we're giving to them. And so Paul says, you know what, it was a tough time in Thessalonica, but I just got up and got back to work. Uh, Satan tries to sideline us in the work by convincing us that we're unappreciated, 
misunderstood, unworthy, and inadequate. And by the way, Satan is right in all of those. We are unappreciated, misunderstood, unworthy, and inadequate. And if we try to say that we're not, that's where we get discouraged. (laughs) And so, but don't let that stop us from the work. Because our Savior is not unappreciated, misunderstood, unworthy, or inadequate. He has all power. We are all of these things, yet God still has a purpose and plan for us to work through Him in His kingdom. And that's what God has called us to do. Next, in verse 10, He says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. After we get knocked down, we have to continue to value holiness, justice, and integrity. Because those three things, we start thinking, what's the point? Is it really worth it? Why am I trying to live this life of holiness, justice, and integrity? And Satan comes to us and he lies to us and he says, it's not worth it. Don't don't even pursue those anymore. But Paul says, I'm going to continue even with the work that God has called me to. Don't allow the mistreatment of this world to damage the value that we place as Christians on holiness, justice, and integrity. Be a person who trusts God and His rules and decides to live by them. Not because it's always evident that, okay, I see, I did right today and I got blessed the next day. That's not how it happens. Many times we do live holy with justice and integrity, and sometimes we get knocked down again, and we get knocked down again, and we get knocked down again. And Paul said, don't let that determine your, the value you put on these three things. Don't be fooled into thinking that these qualities are only for those who want to finish last in life. By the way, that's what Satan says. That's what Satan told Eve in the garden. Don't follow God's rules. You want to be successful in life? Eat the fruit and you'll be like God. You don't need to be holy. You don't need to worry about justice. You don't need to worry about integrity. Those things are for people who are losers. You just reach out and grab what you want. You do what you want. You be your own woman. This is what he told Eve and Adam. Um, And, of course, it ended in destruction. God always has and always will reward those who value these three things. And this is why Paul mentions them here in verse 10. Don't try to make up ground in life by taking shortcuts on holiness, justice, and integrity. Follow the path. It will always end up in victory. And then in verse 11, he says, And as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. After we've been knocked down and we get back up, Paul says, Go help someone else who's been knocked down and help them get back up. Like a father comforteth his children. When we see our children fall down from riding a bike or fall down down the hill, we don't say, oh, you know, we go and we help them. We help them get up. And this is what Paul said. I was knocked down, but yet after I got knocked down, I got back up. I followed certain things in my life. And then I look for other people who have been knocked down. A Christian should exhort, encourage, and advise. And these are the three things he says in verse 11. Find someone who needs help dealing with their hurts and encourage and advise them and be a helper to them. A Christian should comfort, he says in verse 11. We exhorted, we comforted. Sometimes someone just needs us to just be there with them as they go through a difficult time. And then a Christian should give instruction and direction to those who need a sense of purpose in life. The best way to conquer our hurt 
is to help someone else with theirs. And this chapter, and I'm, that's my last point, this chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you know, Paul's life, in different parts of his life, you see where he recounts all the troubles and trials and things that he went through. But this one, Thessalonica, was unusual for Paul. When you read Paul's testimony, you almost get the impression that he kind of reveled a little bit in disruption. You know, he reveled in the fact that, yeah, I was arrested, we got put in jail, and there was an earthquake, and, you know, I got whipped 40 times, and this other city, I got stoned, but, you know, I basically uh, was raised from the dead, and all these things. Thessalonica was just a little bit different. There was no excitement. There was nothing to leave Thessalonica with and brag about. There was really no, you know, if he was writing a missionary letter, Thessalonica would have been kind of left out because now I was there for three weeks and not a lot happened. Matter of fact, I got ran out of town and there's really not even anything exciting to say about it. He got knocked down, but he learned some valuable lessons from that experience. Lessons that we can carry with us um, in our life as well. Okay, let's go. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for loving us and for your word. Thank you for uh, uh, these books in the Bible that you give to us um, of exhortation and advice that we can apply to our life. I pray that we would and that we would trust you, that we would uh, walk in faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. I think in five minutes.